Hey guys, we'll get started in just one minute, but I wanted to give you some good news. We've got our Worship and Creative Conference coming up in October, the 23rd to the 25th, and you can join us online. So as a thank you to you, our podcast listeners, for being with us on the journey, we wanted to give you a discount, 20% off the whole online conference. Go to hillsong.com forward slash WCC and use the promo code podcast19. And now let's roll the intro. Hillsong Creative Podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. It's Rich Langton here, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. I'm in the creative offices here at Hillsong Creative, and the weather outside is dreary, but in here, we are having a great time. You're in for a treat today. This episode, I've been looking forward to bringing to you for a long time. See, back in episode 25, we spoke to Kate Crosby from The Giving Keys. She's a creative where she found herself in a situation where she needed to use, she felt called to use her creativity for a mission outside the four walls of church. Um, You've probably heard of the Giving Keys and the amazing work that they do helping the homeless. Today, we've got something similar for you. See, Mike Gore, who I'm speaking to in this interview, is from Open Doors. And for those of you who don't know that organization, they work with the persecuted church. See, Mike was a longtime worship leader, musician, creative really, And yet when he found himself called to the persecuted church, it opened his eyes to really the power of the gospel. And so I hope today that as we listen, our eyes will be opened to what it is we're a part of, to the fact that the gospel is powerful, it's working in far distant lands, and it can work in our lives and through our creativity. So why don't we jump into it and I'll talk to you again at the end. Mike, um, my memory growing up, um, my memories growing up as a kid of the persecuted church is, is, has always been linked to open doors. Um, in our church that I grew up in, I, I don't know why, but we had a strong focus on the persecuted church. We knew about it. And, um, and that got even more intense when I met Cass and we got married because her family, her dad, was passionate about Open Doors. And so she has a love for your ministry. And, and I guess together we see the value of it. Just for context for people listening, how many people are persecuted in the world and how do we know of the persecuted church? Yeah, look, it's a great, great question. Open Doors since the mid-90s have been producing something called the World Watch List. It's uh, indexed and authoritative ranking of the 50 most difficult countries on earth to be a Christian. And at the moment, we would say the number of persecuted believers is around 215 million worldwide. And those numbers are changed and fluctuate every year. But that's probably the most or the closest figure I can give you around the numbers of persecuted believers. Mm. And, and when you say persecuted, what does that look like? Yeah, look, that's a great question. Persecution, you know, I think one of the biggest misnomers with persecution is that it's always violent and it's always committed by Muslims. <laughs> right. You know, and I think it does such an injustice not only to Muslims, but it does an injustice to the global pressure on Christianity. Mm. Believers in Asia will tell us it's a smash and the squeeze paradigm. 
Mm. Okay, at one end of it you have the smash. It's violent. It's in your face and it's indicative of the Middle East. But then the other end you've got the squeeze. Mm. It's acts of nonviolent persecution whereby outworking your faith in culture becomes so difficult that you're rendered to a life of abject poverty. Mm. And to be quite frank, nonviolent persecution is far more effective than violent. Mm. And so that's the sort of the breadth of persecution. And persecution, I believe, exists wherever the gospel is being shared. Mm. It's an earmark of successful Christianity. Hmm. Wow. So for you, I I know a a little of your story, but people at home listening won't know. You've not always been a part of Open Doors and fighting against persecuted church. How did you go from just being a regular Joe like your, you know, us, to now being vigilant about caring for and helping the persecuted church? Yeah, I mean, my, my real backstory from from the beginning was I was abandoned at birth in India, and I'm not sure that many people know that story, but. Through a series of events, I've smuggled across borders and all sorts of crazy events that um, were really God-ordained looking back, rendered me here in Australia, uh, growing up as an adopted kid in a white family with two white sisters and a white mum and dad and, <laughs> you know, just a really... But they were a Christian family. Mm. So, you know, I look back and I see the hand of God on my life from the moment of being abandoned at birth in the backwaters of India to being adopted to a Christian family here in Australia. Mm. And now come forward sort of 15, 20 years, I worked in the Christian music world so all the creatives, that's how I can fit this podcast, right? <laughs> At least I did something creative yeah, in my you life. Helped us. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, but I know the, the definition of creativity is far more than just music. Right. Uh, Thank you. But look, Good. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I worked for about 10 years in the Christian music world. It's where I bumped into a lot of the guys from Hillsong I know now. But I always had this kind of pull. You know, I, I say to people, I love God, I love people, and I love building something out of nothing. Mm. If you can give me a job that does that, I'll wake up every day and run at it. Mm. And so... I felt called out of the Christian music world. Mm. I had my own company by this stage and I wanted to work for a charity. I knew nothing about the persecuted church, totally different to your exposure actually right. where you grew up hearing about it. Mm. I knew nothing about it, but it was the first job with the charity that I found. Mm. And so I applied for it. I went for a role and actually didn't get the job. Okay. They said I was overqualified. <laughs> so I applied for another job and they said I was underqualified. <laughs> they didn't want you. <laughs> no, that's right. And so two weeks later they called me back and they said, hey, our first choice for the job has said no. We're willing to give wow. you a go. Okay. Uh, two years later I stepped into the role of CEO. Yeah, right. So when you heard about or saw the ad for the, for the job, did you have any clue what you were actually getting yourself into? No, you know, it's funny, even the word persecuted, it was almost, I could hardly pronounce it, you know. People say prosecuted, persecuted, you know, you get confused by it. So I literally had no clue what the persecuted church was. Mm. I mean, I'd heard about persecution in the Bible and stuff, but I knew nothing about the persecuted church. Mm. And so it was literally a job that ticked the box. I love God, I love people, Mm. and I love building something out of nothing. Mm. And the role was to come in and kind of establish a youth ministry for the ministry. And so... It ticked the boxes. Didn't mm. care the subject matter. Right. And now in the last sort of seven years, my world has turned upside down. Mm. The role has taken you all over the world, obviously. And I can remember, I can't remember the details of it, but I remember you telling me a story of when you stepped into the role of being in some persecuted nation or far-flung nation that had persecuted Christians in it. And you had an incident um, with a Bible that changed kind of your perspective on even what you're doing. Do you yeah. know the story I'm talking about? I, I can think of, I think I know the country you're talking about <clears throat> mm. and I'm pretty sure I know the story. So if it's not, it might be a new story for you, but right. it is one of the stories that fundamentally changed my life. You see, 
Uh, my first trip with the ministry was a solo trip. I was tasked with smuggling Bibles yep. into Muslim this background is the story. <laughs> believers. And I remember, you know, having coming out of the Christian music world, you know, I was at the Dove Awards and I heard Chris Tomlin on your podcast <laughs> and listened to his episode and I thought, you know, I remember being in a, a sales, EMI, CMG sales conference and right. hearing him play How Great Is Our God on the Piano and then you sort of jump forward a few years and I find myself in North Africa standing at a border with a bag full of Bibles. Mm. I remember... I was under these strict instructions that if I got through security, not when, but if I got through security, right. I was to make eye contact with someone who'd be standing on the back of the terminal, right? I was to show no emotion and would leave through separate doors. And I remember as I walked up to customs, I was the last person through, and this guard, really staunchly Islamic guy, looks at my passport and he says, Michelle. And I remember thinking to myself, no, Michael. He says, Michelle. I said, no, it's Michael. He says, you show me Michael. And I pointed to my name on the passport and he goes, Michelle. I said, yeah, fine, Michelle. And so <laughs> I walked through under the name of Michelle, which I realised because they were colonised by the French, it all made sense. Right. But mm-hmm. this bag full of Bibles, I had to go on this scanner. There was four or five guards around it. And I remember Brother Andrew who started our ministry yes. and you talked about before would pray the smuggler's prayer. Mm. And his prayer would simply say, you make blind eyes see, now I need you to make seeing eyes blind. And I remember I put my bag up on this conveyor and prayed that prayer and he went through and not a word was said. Mm. I ultimately, in a long story short, was able to get through security, meet with his brother, and as we were driving out of the airport, he told me how the safe house I was meant to stay at was compromised by a man involved in terrorism. Mm. It was no longer safe for me to stay there and that I'd be uh, on a hotel, in a hotel, sorry, downtown, on lockdown mm. because of risk of kidnapping for ransom. Wow. And then over the next five days, we're chased by the secret police every day. And on the fifth day was the day we're going to make the drop. Mm. And we drove to this church. And on the way to the church, I stood in the hole where a suicide bomber blew themselves up a couple of weeks before I got there. And I promise you, the damage a guy with a vest and some ball bearings can achieve is something I'll never forget. Mm. And as we went to this church and the service finished, a couple of brothers came up to me and said, hey, can I tell you my story? Mm. I said, please. And the first brother said he was a totally poor Muslim and completely illiterate. Mm. He says, one day I said, God, if you're real, you need to teach me to read. And he says, someone gave him an Arabic Bible. Right. He says, he flicked the Bible open. He felt the Lord say, read Hebrews. And he flicked through the Bible. The one book he could read word for word immediately was Hebrews. He said, he finished Hebrews. He felt the Lord say, read Timothy. Flicks through the Bible. The one book he could read was Timothy and he couldn't read Hebrews anymore. (laughs) He said the Lord revealed the Bible to him one book at a time and taught him to read. Mm. And here we are standing four hours outside of this city speaking to a Muslim background believer who speaks Arabic. Mm. And then through an interpreter he says to me, then the Spirit of God fell on me and now I pray in tongues. (laughs) And this brother starts praying in perfect English in front of me. Wow. (laughs) The next guy walks over and says, brother, can I tell you my story? I said, please. He says he was a really wealthy Muslim. With his, within Islam, wealth brings status and esteem. And he says to me, one day I said, God, if you're real, you need to come and see me. Mm. He said, Jesus turned up in their living room and they spoke for an hour. Wow. He said his wife came home from work and he said, I just met Jesus, we're now Christian. And she <laughs> says, no way, wow. not a chance. We'll lose everything, our house, our money, our family, maybe even our lives. Mm. And in a typical North African way, he said, will you ask Jesus to come and he'll come. He said the next day he came home from work and there was a letter nailed to a tree in his front yard, literally with a hammer and nail. He pulled it off the tree and read it. It was from his wife and it simply said, Dear Jesus, my husband says you are real and you will come, so please come. He came home the next day from work and his wife was on the kitchen floor sobbing. He says, What's wrong? She said, Jesus is here. 
We spoke for an hour. We're now Christian. These people are now pastoring an underground church in this North African country. And two weeks before I got there, the major Islamic newspaper put their faces on the front cover with a headline saying the most dangerous man in this nation because he's trying to lead a revolution away from Islam. Basically a death sentence for him. Mm. I remember I said to him, how do you live with that? And he says to me, I consider it a true joy to wear that badge for Christ. I don't know if that was the story you're after, but... <laughs> I'm speechless. So that was your first trip. First trip. How did you sort of gather the boldness, I guess you'd say, the faith maybe, to actually get on the plane and go there? Yeah, it's a really, you know, it's a really interesting story. The part that no one knows of that story is I was in London the night before I was flying in and I got a call from my wife saying that we'd actually had a miscarriage. Huh. And and so here I am in London yeah. with a bag full of Bibles getting ready to go into a country that I, I knew nothing about, mm. wrestling with the idea of should I go home, should I go? Mm. And I remember when my wife said to me, you still need to do this, right, through tears and, and mm. all of the emotion that comes with that. And... And so it was It was difficult. Like, mm. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. People often say, hey, you must be super courageous in your faith. You know what? I'm, I wasn't. I was petrified. Right. I was torn emotionally between am I doing the right thing, am I not? Mm. And and I look back and I realise and one of the lessons, the like overarching lessons I've learned is obedience. Mm. You know, it's like God doesn't promise his safe passage. What I need to do is stop measuring my proximity to him based off his provision of safety. Mm. Right, too often in life, when life is going well, we say we're close to God and the moment it goes bad, we say, God, where are you? Mm. That's not how it works. Mm. Right, in 2 Timothy it says, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm. Suffering is part and parcel of faith. Mm. So as far as that trip goes, it wasn't easy. Mm. I probably wanted to leave every moment I was there to tell you the truth. Mm. But in hindsight, would I change anything? Not at all. Mm. Because you encountered people who'd have ridiculous experiences, radical life change under terrible situations, and you get to rub shoulders with them and witness it face to face. Yeah. Yeah. So then what does that do to you? Because I imagine you got on the plane, you had the crazy experiences, got on the plane, came back to Australia, and there's all of these what would appear to be apathetic Christians just living just normal lives. How did that affect you? Yeah, that's one. Of, that's probably one of the hardest things with any of the travel. You know, I remember being in Egypt in a cave that holds 20,000 people in a cave, mm. right? right, worshipping with believers. And then you come home and you jump into church on a Sunday and someone comes up to you and says, man, Mike, you didn't hit that bridge today or the guitar <laughs> sounded rubbish or, you know, right. and, and that's frustrating, right? But it's also really important that I've learned we, we make those comments based on our own sense of normality, mm-hmm. right? And I truly believe that some of the greatest persecutors of the modern church are in fact Christian. Wow. Because the way that we speak about other churches, mm-hmm. it so rarely honours mm. the beauty of the church, which mm. is actually the diversity of the church. Right. And so for me, you can come back and you can talk about apathetic, but the reality is is that most people wake up and think, how can I best serve Jesus? Mm-hmm. They don't wake up and think, how can I do my worst? Right. But they are basing their faith off a sense of where they are. Mm. 
And so just because I've had this experience in caves or wherever it might be around the world, mm. I can't come back and expect you to be like that. Mm. But what I can do is hopefully show you through story and through my life that courageous Christianity is where it's at mm. Mm. and that we need to stop measuring our proximity to God based off his provision of safety. Right. That's great. So then what is, what's the aim of Open Doors? Is it trying to get rid of persecution? Yeah, that's the, one of the things I love about Open Doors and probably one of the things that a real point of difference, we're not here to end persecution. Mm. In fact, we're not even here to stop it growing. And by supporting us, you're prolonging suffering, <laughs> right, which I'm sure most of the listeners are like, that sounds like a pretty average organisation. <laughs> right. But the truth is that <laughs> wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. Right. If we want persecution to stop, it's easy. Mm. Just get people to stop talking about Jesus, stop meeting a community and sharing Jesus, mm. and stop outworking him in an evangelistic sense. Right. But we'll never do that. Good. Yeah, yeah. So then the, the two remain. So there's people in another nation somewhere who are being persecuted for their faith. And then there's people in places like Australia and others where Christians are waking up doing their best. How do we bridge the gap? And, and what does Open Doors do to bridge the gap? Yeah, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about our ministry is that we're a conduit between the so-called free church and the persecuted church, mm. right? One, both sides help each other. It's almost if you could picture a river with a, the church on either side, the persecuted church on one side, the free church on the other, mm. with a bridge that links the two, mm. right? What's funny is we often are an underground organisation. You will have no clue about our name, our brand, our logo, anything in the countries we work mm. because the reality is Open Doors isn't the hero, Persecuted Christians aren't the hero. Mm. Jesus Christ is always the hero. Right. It's been the heartbeat of our ministry since Brother Andrew for mm. more than 60 years now, mm. and it will be the heartbeat for the next 60 mm. because the reality is we are a gospel-advancing ministry, Yeah. and that's the heartbeat. We'll get right back to the episode brought to you by our Hillsong Worship and Creative Conference. It's for every kind of creative whether you're a musician, singer, a graphic designer, architect, an audio engineer, or video editor. It's a place for the artists of the church to gather together, to worship, to be inspired and refreshed, and to be equipped and trained for your sphere of creativity. Find out more details at hillsong.com forward slash WCC. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hi, I'm Mike Gore, and this is my Fantastic Fall. The last book that I read is called The Like Switch and it's about persuasion and it was written by a former FBI agent. The most recent piece of art I've created is a video telling the story of the persecuted church because I find I'm best at storytelling and when I meet with people all over the world, the thing that I tell them and promise them I can do is tell their story. The job that I would be terrible at would be childcare or teaching. I just don't think I'd have the patience for any of it. Something that I changed my mind about in the last few years would have to be the notion of prayer. It sounds spiritual, I know, but the reality is it was a trip to Lebanon and the Syrian border where I realised that Muslims have a greater expectation that Jesus will answer their prayer than I do. And in that moment, I realised there must be something wrong. And so for me, in the last year, the biggest change in my life has been in my prayer life. And so then for someone like me or the people listening, you know, they're creatives in their church, what can they do or what can I do to, like, I guess I, obviously we can support Open Doors. That makes sense. And in, in a sense that to someone listening could be like a sales pitch and I would never want that to be the case. I, I guess what I'm looking for from them, 
or from, you know, from the conversation is more how can we inspire people to live in a way that would want to help the persecuted church? What would you say to someone like to yeah, look, do that? I, look, with creatives, I think the, the concept, and, and you have to follow me on this one, but the concept of evolution, right, for Christians, it's almost like it's something that is a taboo. You don't talk about it. Right. Right, and it frustrates me because the reality is the method of delivery of the gospel must evolve. Mm-hmm. That's where creatives come into it. Mm-hmm. And more than that, that's where creatives are powerful in doing it, mm. right? The message doesn't change, mm. but the method of delivery must evolve. Mm. And I think one of the things I love about the persecuted church is that the stories of courageous and authentic faith, the stories that tell you, you know, I've seen so many Christians survive persecution, but very few prosperity. Mm-hmm. The stories that flip faith on their head mm-hmm. and culture on their head, they're the ones that I want creatives to say, how can I tell that story? Mm-hmm. Because authentic faith comes at a cost. Mm. <laughs> and I think that is the key, is that the mess, method of delivery must evolve. Mm. The message must, and it's always Jesus Christ, biblically based and uh, in his grace mm. and his sacrifice for us. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, as culture evolves, communication evolves, what I don't see happen often is the church evolve with it. Right. And I think that's where creatives have this beautiful opportunity to tell us a story in a new, compelling way through music, through art, through video, through whatever it is. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the role you guys can play. Mm. And so then your encouragement would be, to all, anyone listening, would be to be a courageous Christian, right? Absolutely. And maybe there's example in those Christians living in persecuted countries. Yeah, I remember being in Central Asia, right, a part of the world that I love, and it's a part of the world that marries both the violence of Islamic extremism with the relentless pressure of communism. Right. And it, they sort of collide to make outworking faith extremely difficult. I remember meeting with one brother there and we're standing outside this bustling cotton market and just chatting about life and faith and he simply said to me, Mike, what does it mean to be wise as a serpent? And I remember I didn't really know the answer, so I just stayed quiet. Right. And he says, well, tell me, can the serpent hear God? I paused again and he says, Mike, the serpent can hear God but doesn't obey God. Hmm. And then he paused and with a warm and genuine tone says, sounds a lot like you, right? <laughs> he says, the scriptures, they also talk about the 99 and the 1. Hmm. He says, they hear the sheep hear God's voice and obey for they're his most prized possession. Mm. He says, have you ever thought that you might be the one? He says, because when I look at people in your country, you claim to know God, but the moment he asks you to do something, you don't obey. Wow. And, you know, as I sat there or stood there and listened to him, I thought for the first time in my life, I am the one. Mm. You know, I'm a sheep treasured and valued by the shepherd, mm. but unless what he's asking me is safe, comfortable and guaranteed to work, I rarely obey. Mm. Looking back, I realise I often mask my evangelism in kindness, generosity and good deeds, but without mentioning Jesus. And this brother says to me, well, Mike, all you're doing in those moments is paving the wide road to hell with kindness and good deeds. Oh, wow. And he says, whereas here in Central Asia, despite what our obedience to Christ will cost us, mm not might, will cost us. Mm. He says our greatest reward is to one day see Jesus face to face. Mm. In those moments of obedience, stepping out of the boat, the water feels like solid ground. Mm. And he says you have to have Jesus. It is the only distinctive to language. And so I guess the question for the listeners is the 99 and the 1. Which one are you? Mm. Man. So then in our art, in the way we approach life, in our creativity, the encouragement there is to not, just make good art, but to make it 
Holy Spirit-centric, make it Jesus-centric, gospel-centric. I often think these days, and you would know working in the Christian music industry, that sometimes we can be so overt, though, that it's almost distasteful, puts people off. And I think we take the um, easy road of just sort of slapping Jesus' name on it and thinking that that's communicating Mm. well. And so I guess my encouragement to, to sort of add to what you're saying is that we have to be artisans, really craft well our creativity mm-hmm. and, and allow the weight of the gospel to equal the, the sort of the weight we put on our craftsmanship so that we don't short sell the name of Jesus. We don't yeah. just kind of think that by, by saying it's a Christian song or by literally just painting the cross and saying, you know, this is a Christian piece of artwork. We sort of think that that just doing that will will have an impact. Yeah, well, well, in those moments, right, you sell Jesus out for <coughs> the sake of a yes mm. or to protect against the fear of a no. Right. And I think that's one of our big challenges is that so often we want that yes or mm. we don't want to hear no. Mm. And so what do we do? We move, remove the most controversial thing in our minds from our language mm. and that is always and often Jesus. Yes. Right, and so in those moments, as you're saying, right, you need to deal with taste, you need to deal with empathy, you need mm. to deal with character and grace and all those things. Mm. But to leave Jesus out of it, mm. you sell him out for the sake of trying to get a yes, a like, or whatever it might be, right. or the fear of getting a no. Yes, yeah. So in places like Australia again, and others as we said, but are you also advocating that we should be persecuted? Yeah. <laughs> Look, in many ways I am, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Because my worry is that if... The church in many developed countries continues on the trend it will continue. We are far more likely to fall into a place of spiritual and cultural insignificance than we are persecution. Right. And for me, that's terrifying. Mm. You know, I remember being in China and we were smuggling Bibles into China. I had to take 17 kilos of them in. And and the night before we were making the delivery, I was up in the mountains in Hong Kong and just meeting with some brothers and praying about it. And, and one of them said to me, last time we had a group of travellers here, we're standing at the scanners at the Hong Kong border mm. and we prayed the Lord would let us get the Bibles through. And he says, right there, the scanners blew up and caught on fire. <laughs> Smoke, flames, you name it, right? Wow. He says, we're able to make the delivery. He says, why don't we pray for the same thing? <laughs> and so here I am up about 8.30 at night praying in these hills outside of Hong Kong. And the next day we're driving down to the border and this brother came running out waving a piece of paper. And he says to me, um, it's a news report from last night. He read it and he says, at 8.30 last night, the scanners of the Hong Kong border blew up and caught on fire and they'll be down today. Unbelievable. And so we go down there and the scorch marks, the yellow tape, and we're able to make the delivery. Mm. But later that day, we're meeting with the underground church and mm. I must have been meeting with a 60 or 70, maybe even 80-year-old believer. He was talking in broken English and telling me stories of faith in the face of communism, really eerily haunting stories. Mm. But as our conversation kind of drew to a close, I remember I said to him, well, brother, can I pray for you? (laughs) And he says, yeah, I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. Wow. I remember I said, I was only new with Open Doors at this stage, Mm. and I said to him, why? Mm. And he says, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. He says, the value of Jesus drops. Mm. I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. Wow. And I remember I said to him, well, brother, would you pray for me? He says, yeah, I pray you'd be persecuted. <laughs> you see, the reality mm. is is that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution mm. exists. And truth be told, I think within the charismatic sort of ACC Hillsong kind of movement, within particularly Australia, which I know, mm. you are the most vocal churches. Mm. And to be quite frank, you're the people who take 
the biggest pounding when it comes to persecution. <laughs> yeah. So if persecution is an earmark to successful Christianity, mm. my encouragement to you, Rich, and all of the people listening to this podcast is keep doing what you're doing mm. because you're not out there to win friends and influence people. Mm. You're out there to make sure that Jesus Christ remains the hope of the world. It's mm. awesome. The, the prayer that he prayed for you is so confronting. Mm. Um, it almost makes, you, makes me and I'm probably sure people listening pause because it's, um, I guess we, so often in our Christian lives, we are um, confronted with circumstance that's not what we want or not the way we expect it to be. And so we pray for, for us to get out of that circumstance. And so then to, for him to be uh, sort of wishing and praying persecution on us, is it's just confronting, I think. You know, one of the things the persecuted church asks us is not pray for them, but to pray with them. Right. Have you ever thought about your own prayer life? Whenever you're praying for someone, you know, to be frank, we're often actually praying that their life would be like ours. Mm. You know, have you ever thought about that when you're praying for like refugees or Muslims? Right. Or The reality is you're praying that mm. their life would be like yours. Mm. But they're saying, hey, we don't want that. Mm. We want you to pray with us. Mm. We need to pray they would have courage in the face of fear. Mm. They would have hope in the face of helplessness. Yeah. They would be courageous enough to share their gospel no matter the cost. Yes. And I think that's the challenge is that so often our sense of normality says, hey, I want their life to be like mine. Mm. They don't want that. Yes. Right. In fact, they would look at it and say, I'm terrified about prosperity. Mm. I'm terrified about the comfort that that brings. Mm. You're more in love with life than you are Jesus and it makes mm. you unwilling to die for him. Mm. You live as though Jesus Christ isn't coming back in your lifetime mm. and it changes everything. Mm. These are all quotes and stories from the persecuted church right. because it's not about saying their life should be like ours. Mm. It's about saying, God, let your will be done and give them strength to keep going. Mm. Yeah. Um, our son Tom, as you, you know him, yeah. he, he was on a mission trip to Romania mm. recently his first trip by himself, you know, without his parents at least. And one of the things that struck me when he came back was that he had met really impoverished people, believers, and he was struck that he said to me, Dad, um, they had nothing, but they were so happy. They were so joyous. And I think we've talked before about Mm. people who've in extreme persecution but still have a sense of joy Yeah, and I hear what you're saying about praying for persecution in Australia and and what that means, but I wonder if the prayer is that we could all go through life and circumstances holding a firm grip on our faith, living in joy no matter, sort of despite the circumstance. I'm just so confronted by the, yeah, the look, thought of persecution. Just to be clear, I think I'm not, I'm not saying that we should pray for persecution. What I'm saying is that we should be praying, you know, if, if Jesus is not visible in your life, yeah. you need to make him visible. Right. And look, the reality is persecution, I know it's a bit tangential, but persecution and wealth can coexist. I yeah, really want sure. to be clear about that. Too yeah. often we listen to people speak and you think it's got to have some poverty mindset mm. or mentality that to truly chase Jesus means you have to give up everything, mm. right, or lose everything. Now, it says stuff like that in the scriptures, but the reality is it's about what foothold does it have in your life. Yes, Right, if Jesus can't mm. be seen, if you're not sharing Jesus visibly, vocally, and valiantly in your life, mm. then there's a problem. Mm. But you know what? You can still be a great business owner and be passionate about Jesus. Yes. And so I think rather than saying I'm praying for persecution, mm. what I'm saying is that we need to be more courageous in our faith, yeah. knowing that it will more than likely cost us. Mm. All right, looking forward as a ministry which we've done for 60 years now, and we, Brother Andrew in particular, um, 
really saw the, the fall of the Iron Curtain, mm. the rise of Islamic extremism, all, all these mm. sort of prophetic shifts in mm. the world of persecution and faith around the world. If I look forward 10 years, mm. what we'll be facing, particularly in the West, is a far more state-controlled church, a far more state-controlled expression of faith. Mm. Now, if in our intentions we try to parallel state and government to remain cool and relevant, all we're going to do is find that it actually takes us away from our number one love mm. because the reality is the message of Jesus is offensive to the world. Mm. Mm. Again, I'm not saying we're praying for persecution. What mm. I'm saying is unless you stand up for what you believe, mm. you'll blink and you'll be a long way from where you want to be. Mm. And I think that's what the church needs to do, mm. have a truer understanding of biblical, authentic biblical faith, mm. the cost of standing up for Christ, mm. knowing that, he stood up for us, mm. laid his life down for us. Mm. The least we can do is the same for him. Mm. And really, if this is real and we believe it is and we've experienced Jesus, then in a sense, why wouldn't we stand up? Why wouldn't we live a bold faith? Mm. The thing is, we don't because we don't want to be persecuted. <laughs> yeah, look, there's a big difference between knowing Jesus and knowing of Jesus. Yeah. And for me personally, and maybe some listeners, I feel like I'm in the second category mm. because people in Central Asia tell me we look at reading the Bible as our opportunity to walk hand in hand with God himself through the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. He says, Brother Mike, when was the last time you read the Bible when you weren't preparing for a sermon? <laughs> right. You know, really, and he says another mm. one was like, I could speak to you for four hours about Jesus. He says, when I went to Germany, he said, I met a brother who could only speak to me for 25 minutes about Jesus. Mm. I remember hearing him say that and I'm sitting there going, mm. I might be able to make two, right? right. Like mm. there's a big difference between mm. knowing Jesus and knowing of Jesus. Mm. And my great fear is that I'm in that set second category. Mm. Mm. We should um, wrap it up. I feel like we've um, I've sort of taken lots of your time, but you brought with you a letter. Should we? Like, would you like to read this? I feel like it would be a great close to, Love to. just put a bow around the conversation and, and Give us something to chew on as we wrap up. So these are the words of a dying man. They were written by a pastor who the day after this letter was martyred for his faith. He's from an African nation. It was written in the early 90s. Mm. And it's one of the most powerful letters I've ever heard. It was found amongst all these papers on his desk. He was a prolific writer. Mm. And it's basically his dying words. Yeah. And says this, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his and I won't look back. Let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognised or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer and labour by Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. 
I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus, and I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Mike, it's an honour to have you on the podcast and I, I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, pray that God will continue to give you boldness to share the message that, you, that you're sharing and um, boldness in places like Australia, yeah. <laughs> boldness in places where there's potential for opposition even, even to the message amongst the churches. Yeah. And I pray that God will bless you, bless the ministry and that people would rise up in their faith, that we would be just like you read, people who don't give up, who won't step back or look back, but that people would continue boldly in living this message of Jesus. Wow, I'm not sure about you, but for me, those stories are crazy. I'm so challenged by the faith and the courage of the people over there. But you might be sitting there listening and going, what has that got to do with me? That's not happening where I live. But I would hazard to say that it has everything to do with us because the same power that is moving, the same gospel that's being preached, the same God that is saving people and and is doing amazing things, that's the same God, obviously, that we serve and that is working and is active where we live. And uh, what's really a challenge for all of us is that we can all be courageous where we find ourselves and we can all live with a sense of strength in the gospel like the people that that Mike was describing. You know, imagine that when you're utilising your creativity, when you're going about daily life, being an artist or a musician or you know, even an architect or a painter, whatever it is you do, imagine as you're going about that, you had a sense that God is about to to step in and utilize that for His good. Imagine we stepped up in our level of faith and courage and we worked out how to communicate the gospel even in more clear ways, in better ways through our craft. And imagine that as we step out courageously, we begin to see some of the things that Mike was talking about where you live and where I live. Imagine our faith in action through our creativity sees people saved on the streets of your city and of mine. I can imagine it and I think all it takes is a little bit of courage and a little bit of vision to see how God might use those things and who knows what the impact could be. Maybe we might be persecuted for it. Maybe we might see some opposition, but on the flip side, we'll see the power of God. We'll see the Holy Spirit use us and we'll see the gospel go to places that it could never go if we didn't step out in faith and step out in courage. So let's do it. Let's step up. Let's be all we can be and let's trust God for what He might want to do where we live. If you want to find out more about Mike Gore, about Open Doors, you can go to their website. It's opendoors.org. And uh, I'm sure he would appreciate the prayer and the encouragement. And uh, I'm sure it would encourage you as well as you do that. That's it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and it's been useful for your journey. If you haven't already, I'd love to take a minute just to encourage you to subscribe. When you do that, you become part of our growing community of creatives who are trying their best to live out their faith through their creativity. So join us anywhere you find your podcasts, subscribe, and then you won't miss out on anything 
And I always love to hear from you, so please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It helps with the visibility of the podcast and it lets us know what you think, what you're enjoying and where we can go with the podcast in the future. Aside from that, you can write to me on Twitter or Instagram at Rich Langton and we'll talk to you next time.